welcome back to the Elevate Your Running podcast, episode number 65. My name is Austin Myers. My co-host is Sarah Manderscheid. She is not with us today. She actually just completed the Boston Marathon this past weekend, her second Boston Marathon, and she did a great job. I know that she has a lot to share from that race, which we will probably dive into a little bit in next week's episode, but allowing her the time to travel back home, to recover, and then also to give me the opportunity to hop back on the podcast for the first time in, I believe, five weeks, um, something like that at least. It's been quite a while, and five weeks ago, I asked for just a little bit of time uh, away from the podcast, and she was really understanding with that, and she actually um, decided that she wanted to keep this going every single week, and she's done a great job at sharing great tips, advice, anecdotes from her own running, and then also discussing her preparation in the final weeks towards the Boston Marathon. So really grateful for Sarah for stepping in, and also really excited to get back into recording with Sarah next week. So we'll be back together for episode number 66 of the podcast. But in today's episode, I've kind of gone back and forth on what I wanted to share. And originally, my idea was to talk about how running empowers our lives and how we can take running and we can apply it to all other aspects of our lives to become stronger, to become better, to become more well-rounded. And we're going to hit on that today. The real key to that is the word empowerment. We're going to hit on that. However, in preparation for today's episode, and honestly just scrolling through social media earlier today, I saw a post from my good friend Logan Locke, who paced me for my 100-mile ultramarathon in February, and he recently completed his first 100-mile ultramarathon just two weeks ago. And today he made a post on the struggles that he's had, not physically, but actually mentally, in bouncing back from that ultramarathon and that big monumental moment of his life. And when I read that post, and I kind of sat with it and thought about it, And I knew it's something that I've been experiencing in the past eight weeks as well. Um, And the struggles that can come along with committing yourself to a goal for months on end, to being hyper-focused, to gaining a lot of positive momentum and energy from your pursuit of that goal. And then the day finally comes and you show up and you perform, and you're extremely proud of yourself, and if you're fortunate enough to have people around you celebrating with you, it's an amazing feeling. However, there's another side to it, and it's the side that follows. The weeks that follow, the months that follow, your mind and body have to come down from that experience. And in a similar way that your body recovers, your mind too has to recover. And We're not taught how to recover mentally from something like that, from such a high point, and then coming back to baseline and trying to understand what that means, what that needs to look like, and that it's not a step backwards. It's just a part of what we enjoy doing so much, which is training for something, hopefully achieving that goal on the date that you had intended to achieve it. And those moments don't last forever. But we do need to understand how to cope with the struggles that can ensue after we achieve a big goal. And that's what we're going to discuss today. I want to discuss a little bit about the mental health aspects of training, whether it be training for running, which I would assume many of our listeners are primarily focused on, or whatever you're heavily investing your life into. Maybe it's work and maybe you achieve that promotion at work and it's a high point until it then settles back to baseline and it becomes normal. 
and you're almost continuously searching for that high point again. You want to continue to find it. You want that rush of dopamine that's released in anticipation of that reward. And it's not always there. That's not how life works. We can't just click a button and get all those feelings back. And it's really something, you know, if you want to relate it to other aspects of life as well, it's like nostalgia. These nostalgic moments that we'll always go back to those moments from our childhood on Christmas morning or whatever other moments of our younger lives were so special to us. Nostalgia is like equal parts positive and in some ways it feels negative because you don't know that you'll ever feel that again. And that's how I felt coming back from my ultra marathon. Really two key moments for me in the past 12 months. This past May, running the Buffalo Marathon and running my first sub three hour marathon. That happened at the end of May 2022, so close to 12 months ago now. And that was my first experience of just this, what felt like monumental success, a goal that I had had for a few years. And I didn't know when I was going to achieve it. I knew that one day I would. And fortunately, I was able to do it at the Buffalo Marathon, the race that I set out to run that time for the first time. And I ran a 258. So coming in across that finish line, in under three hours, just like the, the rush of adrenaline that you get and just the pride that you take and how much work you invested into that goal and then to see that you can truly create whatever you want when you invest heavily into it. But what you also find is that the more you achieve, the more you almost want to rush the process. Because you want to achieve more and more and more. So before I ran a sub three hour marathon, I didn't really think much of it. I just went out, I ran, I trained, and I didn't really consider what it would feel like to run sub three. I knew that it would be there one day, but I wasn't really in the business of rushing it. But then when you do achieve it, and you know how good that feels, you desperately want to find that again, and you want to find it again soon. So running that sub-three-hour marathon was really my, the first moment that I can remember in the, the weeks and months that followed really thinking, okay, what's next? It's like that's the common question that you get, especially if you're sharing this experience with other people. They all want to know what's next. And sometimes we have an answer, sometimes we don't. But if we don't have an answer that we're willing to share with other people, we're probably searching for that answer for ourselves. And we don't always need to be able to answer the question of what's next. Sometimes it's okay to just enjoy the fact that you put in a lot of work and you achieve something really special for yourself. But when we do want to answer that question of what's next, we get a little bit impatient because now we've achieved something. Now we have some forward momentum. And, and if anything, we're desperately looking to continue that forward momentum because what, what it feels like is that if I'm not moving forward, I'm moving backwards, which is not true. You could remain in one spot for a few weeks and a few months, which is really a big part of recovery. It's necessary that you stop, you cease the progress that you had been pushing for. And when we peak for a race, something like a marathon, when I was peaked for that sub three hour marathon, I was at the top level of the fitness that I could have gotten out of that training. And I was also at the top level of fatigue. So we have to taper. We have to bring the fatigue down so that I can go into race day feeling refreshed, but my fitness is still there. But that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable to say that you can maintain that and then immediately come out of that race where you've put in a large effort and now your body's drained, your body has to recover. So we're not moving forward anymore. 
we've pushed the needle as far to one end of the spectrum as we could for that prep. So we need to be okay with ceasing progress for a period of time. It does not mean that we're moving backwards. There are ways that we can cease progress, yet still continue to train a little bit, allow our bodies to recover properly so that when it's time to begin training for another goal, and we've, when we've answered that question of, okay, this is what's next for me, this is what I want to pursue now, our bodies are actually ready for it. You consider any sport, there's a season, which is probably anywhere from six to eight months for professional sports, and then there's an off-season. There's an off-season because, because the bodies and the minds of these athletes need to recover. They need to have time away in order for them to continue to produce at a high level. But because we're not professional athletes, we can very quickly overlook the fact that we need that off-season. We need to give ourselves time away. And even though it may feel like we're taking a step or two backwards, all we're really doing, if you imagine like pulling a rubber band, you pull it back, you pull it back, you pull it back. It may feel like you're going backwards, when you're recovering or when you're taking time away from preparing for a goal, but all it's allowing you to do is slingshot forward. You release that rubber band and it goes forward with so much force because you pulled it backwards for long enough. And sometimes the longer you pull it backwards, the longer you pull back from heavy, intense training, the more forcefully and the more prepared you are to then jump into that next training cycle. And these were hard lessons that I learned after that sub-three-hour marathon. I needed to take time away from a specific goal, especially that of the marathon distance, and from really intense training. And for the most part, I took the next month or two, but I also had in the back of my mind, okay, you ran 258 in Buffalo. I was already signed up for the New York City Marathon this past November. And I knew once we hit the end of July, once we hit early August, we are full into training for the New York City Marathon. And I wasn't ready for that, at least not mentally. My body may have been ready, but my mind was not ready to invest all that I had previously invested into a marathon prep. Life factors into that. It takes a lot for us to consider all of the things that can influence both our mental and physical preparedness for training and for a goal. So ultimately, I tried to push through that marathon prep, and a few weeks in, I decided this is just not in the cards right now at this point in my life. And that's when I shifted focus after some, some more downtime. I shifted focus to a goal in February. So I ran the New York City Marathon for fun and almost as a training run for my goal of running a 100-mile ultramarathon in February. To that date, the longest I had ever run is 52 miles, and it excited me and it scared me to consider running 100 miles. And as I trained for that goal, it was like, rekindling the fire that I had for training for the sub three hour marathon. The energy was there. And I think there's something to the idea that your goal should scare you a little bit because when you're just scared enough, it initiates action. It initiates the necessary urgency that we need for big training sessions. It makes sure that you are prepared heading into each training session it heightens your senses. And I was definitely a little bit scared as I trained through the weeks and thought about what race day would be like. I was at the top of my game because it was a big goal. And it was a goal that I had never achieved. And it was the same thing for that sub three hour marathon. It's something I desperately wanted to achieve. So it, it elevated every aspect of my life. But that only lasts so long, and when you get to race day, you are at the top of your game. 
But when you're at the top, there's only one place to go, and that's at least a little bit lower. It's the same thing like when you're at rock bottom, you can take solace in the fact that there's only one direction to go, and it's up. And we hear that a lot, but what we don't hear is that when you're at the top, and that's typically where we're at on race day, because we have trained to be at the top. We invested months to be at the top. So we perform, and we perform very well, and that is something to always take pride in. However, pride can be dangerous, as we'll see. And so when you're at the top, and I crossed the finish line of that 100-mile ultra, I want to say in a similar fashion to crossing the, the finish line of the Buffalo Marathon. However, your mind and body is a little, in a little bit different of shape after 100 miles as opposed to running 26.2 regardless of the pace that you're running um, it wears on you a little bit differently so I didn't quite have the energy in crossing the Rocky Raccoon finish line as I did in Buffalo however the pride was there especially the next day I mean it's just such a high to be on and to feel the support that you maybe knew you had or you believed you had, but when it's really proven to you how many people are in your corner supporting you and are proud of you, it just it just really heightens how proud of yourself that you are. So you enjoy it, and you try to stay as present as you can in that moment. But this is where we really need to get into a discussion for this episode. Because if you've been there, or if maybe one day you will be there. You can almost anticipate that if you have a date on the calendar and you're training for it, maybe you recently ran the Boston Marathon this past weekend, and that was a really monumental moment of your life. That was something that you looked forward to for months, maybe even years. It's like the pinnacle of running, and you did it. You ran the Boston Marathon. You should be proud of that. But we also need to have a discussion around What follows? What follows these big goals? Where do we go next? And that's what I want to discuss today. Let's get to what I believe to be the root or the roots of the issue. And it's that we become fooled or we we at least allow ourselves to believe that progress and the happiness that we derive from progress is linear. We really become addicted to, you know, all of the feelings that progress and that training provides us. So the more that we invest, the better we feel. And we we recognize this pattern, sometimes consciously, sometimes more often than not unconsciously. And as we've already mentioned, when you're training for a race, You can only push it so far, both because of time constraints. Eventually, race day is going to get there. And then also, you can only push your body to make progress in a a period of time so hard. You can only make so much progress over the course of months and years. You can't rush it. There's a huge patience aspect to endurance training to endurance sports like running that I think so many of us appreciate because when we see people achieve at a high level, when we achieve at a high level, and when we see how far we've come, we know how much it took to get there. But after race day, when our body's recovering and our mind's coming down from all of the excitement and the energy that we just had for the entirety of race day, the days that followed, and then even the energy that we built up through training – there's really nowhere else to go but down. It's a matter of how far down you're going to go. And I think that experience does play a factor here. The more that you race, the more that you can understand how to dig yourself out of that rut that you may get in after a big race. So our desire for progress is a big issue here. And Ego has to come into play. It has to come into this discussion because ego is present in all of us. Now we get to choose how much we allow it to uh, seep into our lives. But 
especially in those big moments where we're being celebrated for our accomplishments, our ego is bound to take over. We can tamper it. We can do our best. But we relish in those moments because we worked really hard for it. There's a reason to be proud. But we have to be able to embrace the fact that ego is something we have to push back against, especially in trying to allow ourselves to recover from a race as opposed to continuing to push the needle and then potentially getting injured or just burnt out through our training. I have a quote from Ryan Holiday. He wrote the book, Ego is the Enemy. And the quote reads, We have only minimal control over the rewards for our work and effort. Other people's validation, recognition, rewards. So what are we going to do? Not be kind, not work hard, not produce because there is a chance it wouldn't be reciprocated. We are praised, we are paid, and we start to assume that the two things always go together. The expectation hangover inevitably ensues. So we begin to recognize patterns in our training and in our performance. And these patterns are that we work hard and we get recognized. We work hard and we achieve a result. But what happens when you continue to work hard and you're not recognized? What happens when you work harder than ever and the results aren't coming? That's where we have to leave the ego at the door and understand that the process, the sport, the things that truly need to happen for us to continue to make progress are bigger than how hard we can work. We have to have a lot of things in check for us to run a PR in a marathon. And it's also an uncontrollable factor that we get praised for the work that we do. So it's really about considering two buckets. Number one, the controllables, which is your training, your lifestyle, your nutrition, all of the things that you can control on a daily basis, regardless of your goal. And then there's the uncontrollables, which is the praise, the recognition, and in many cases, the result. We can control factors that contribute to the result, but that does not mean that we can control the result. I can't write down a time on paper and say, I'm going to run this time and just magically make it happen. I can do everything within my power, within my control to make it happen, but that does not mean that on that day I will run that time. So the difference between controllable and uncontrollable is a very big factor in the mental approach to training that we have and the mental health surrounding our relationship with training and performance and all of the factors that we deem to be positive benefits of that. There's also another concept that I pulled from a book that I'm reading right now. The book is called The Mountain Is You by Brianna Wiest. And it's a big worded term that can, can be simplified a little bit. It's called dichotomous thinking. And essentially all this means is that there's an entire field of possibilities in the world. There are countless realities that can be manifested in our lives. And yet, we view something in as simple of terms as success or failure. We take that entire field of possibilities and we say it can only be one or two polarized outcomes. There are no more possibilities other than I win or I lose. But what if there's something in between? And this gets dangerous because we want to be affirmed. We want to be recognized. We want to be acknowledged. So we constantly seek out opportunities to get that recognition. And we view it as we have to win. We have to set a PR. We have to work harder than we did last time. We have to be successful because if we 
don't do those things, if we aren't successful by whatever terms we're defining success as, or maybe whatever terms we're allowing other people to define success as for us, if we don't do that, we view it as a failure. It's a polarity. We're saying it is bad or it is good. And we take that feeling of badness, of failure, and we run with it. And we then let it compound into days and weeks of, oh, I'm not getting better, so I'm not succeeding. Yeah, your body's trying to recover from a race that you just ran, but you're desperately seeking for another opportunity to get back to that mountaintop that you felt like you were on. But you have to be able to embrace that moment, that moment of recovery, that moment where you're back at baseline. If we're going to use the metaphor of a mountain, you can climb to the top of the mountain, but you have to come back to base camp. And along the way, from bottom to top of mountain, there's going to be multiple base camps where you have to settle for a little bit, and then you push forward. You're getting things in order, and then you're pushing further and further up the mountain. Because it takes time. You can't just sprint up the mountain, and then you can't just stay at the mountaintop. It's not sustainable. We have to allow ourselves to accept that reality. And we need to do it ahead of time as best we can, because when we come in with this expectation, when we come into a big race, understanding that this is going to be my Super Bowl. This is my mountaintop moment. This is the pinnacle of what I've been working for. You can, number one, appreciate that moment even more, but then you can also give yourself some understanding that following that high is going to be a few lows because that's just the way it is. That's the way that life functions. We can't stay at the top. We have to go back to the bottom, and then work forward again. It's like every single Monday when you look at your watch or when you look at your Strava account, the miles reset to zero. So whether you ran 30, 50, 70 miles last week, if it's Monday, your miles reset to zero, and it's the same thing for racing. You're going to feel the elation that comes with race day with the support that you get, with the excitement, with the pride that you take. But don't confuse being proud of yourself with allowing your ego to run rampant and then control how you feel following that moment. It all comes down to asking the right questions. We need to ask, why am I doing this? Why do you want to set a big goal why do you want to achieve that goal? And what do you want to get out of it beyond simply the finisher's medal, beyond simply the time that you can attach as your new PR? Why am I doing this? And the question that I would follow up with that is, maybe I would even lead with this question, it's that, is it for you or is it for someone else? If you took social media away, and if it was just you and your training, would you still do it? I've heard before it mentioned, like, if you were the only person on earth and all of your needs were met and it was just you on earth, what would you do? There's no social media. There's no other people to interact with and impress. What would you do? Because those are the things that you would do for yourself. And I honestly believe that if I was the last person on earth, all of my needs were met, I was safe, I would still go run. Obviously, I wouldn't be training for a specific race. Maybe I would set a goal and try to see you know, if I could get faster over time and all of those things, but I would still probably run pretty much every day because I know how it makes me feel. It's not a matter of how it makes someone else feel. It's not a matter of how it influences someone else to make me feel differently and better. It's simply a matter of, I like how this thing makes me feel. I like what it does for my life. 
so I'm going to keep doing it. And that's really what we need to go back to in those harder moments. When we're struggling and and when we feel like we are back to the bottom of the mountain, maybe we even feel like we're lower than we've ever been before because we got so high. We felt what it feels like to be at the very top. So to come any of the way down feels like we've plummeted to the bottom. You need to ask, am I doing this for myself? Because so often we start by doing it for ourselves, and then over time it drifts because we begin to gain recognition. We begin to attach those external factors to what was inherently internal in the beginning. Do it for you. That's probably the number one way that you can combat these issues that can arise following a race or at any point in your training. We want to be better every single day. I mentioned we want our training to be linear. We want to be better every single day, and something I've considered a lot over the past two months is that as goal-oriented people, as people who have proven to ourselves that we can achieve whatever we truly set our minds to and we're willing to work for, as people who get into that feedback loop, we believe that we can not only accomplish anything that we want to, but we can do it on whatever timeline we set out for ourselves to do it on. And oftentimes, like we mentioned earlier, the timeline is not in our control. Yeah, we can control every single factor that we want to, but that doesn't mean that we're going to achieve that goal on a specific timeline. Some of the most powerful stories are that of you know athletes who have had an 18 to 20 year career and then on one of those final years, they finally win the championship. Maybe it's a runner who's been running for over a decade, and they've been trying to run a specific time in the marathon. Maybe it's sub three, sub four, whatever. And they thought they'd be able to do it within the first five years, within the first decade. And it didn't happen. But they keep chipping away, and eventually it does happen. So yeah, we want to be better every day. But better isn't always measurable by paces, by total distance run. It's not always measurable. Better is the actions that we take. James Clear in Atomic Habits says that essentially all we need to do is cast votes for the person that we want to become. And that doesn't mean that you're going to tally up the votes at the end of every single day. But what it means is that you're going to do that little thing that seems insignificant in the moment. But then when you look back on years of training and you see how far you've come, maybe you worked all the way from a five-hour marathon to under a four-hour marathon, and that might take five to ten years. And to then see that it was all a result of casting the votes in favor of yourself as an athlete and ultimately as a person. Because running does not happen in a vacuum. Our training does not happen in a vacuum. It requires that we be able to balance and sacrifice both for and sacrificing you know, the other aspects of our lives that maybe sometimes we need to take a step back from running for a period of time so that we can invest in another aspect of our life, whether it be our family, our jobs. But then there's other times where it's time to push. It's like a sprint. It's like you see how close you are to that goal. You put the date on your calendar and you might be sacrificing other aspects of your life for a 12, 16, 20 week period to cast enough votes that you've got a chance, that you're in the race. And it's all about understanding where you're at in that process, which is why it's all the more important coming off of a big race in a moment where you've probably invested a lot, sacrificed a lot for months to get to that point. So when you achieve that goal, You owe it to both yourself outside of running, 
and you owe it to the people in your lives who love you for a lot more than simply your athletic feats, you owe it to them to balance the equation a little bit. Because so often we see athletes perform at an extremely high level and we think, wow, that must be nice. But you don't see the sheer sacrifice and heartache that it can sometimes take on that athlete and on the people in that athlete's lives because it does not come easily to achieve at a high level and to make a significant amount of progress on a given timeline. So you owe it to yourself coming off of a race or in a period of recovery or in a period where running just cannot be the priority. You owe it to yourself, and more importantly, you owe it to the people around you to balance the equation and potentially to sacrifice your training in favor of the other aspects of your life with the belief that in doing that, your time will come once again. Your time to climb the mountain will come once again but that you don't always get to, day by day, choose how that unfolds. We also need to consider something that I know is talked about a lot, we've discussed it a lot on this podcast, which is goal or process orientation. And understanding that you are either driven only by one of those things or by both in synchronicity, but you do need to control how much you're being driven by the pursuit of a goal versus how much you're being driven by truly loving what you're doing every single day. And affirming yourself to take the steps necessary to feel gratified by the process as opposed to simply the goal because the process is every single day. Every single day that you invest in your physical health, every single day that you go out on a run, that you do a training session, that is a part of the process. The results come much more sparingly. Maybe you can look at the results of a workout and you can see that you've gotten faster over the course of weeks and months in a training cycle. Or maybe you're specifically looking at progress from race to race But if you are living solely on the emotion of goal orientation, then it is not sustainable. You will quickly burn the entirety of the wick of your training candle, if that's the metaphor we want to use, by believing that you can function only on the desire to run faster, farther, and more PRs. We've talked a lot on this podcast about performance standards. Performance standards are essentially taking the outcome, the result, out of the equation and focusing solely on what's in your control. How you show up on race day. Are you prepared? Do you have everything ready to go? Have you trained appropriately and have you practiced what race day is going to look and feel like? And then during the race, how do you react when things get hard? Are you staying on the nutrition or pacing plan that you've set for yourself? Those are your performance standards. Those are the things that every single step of the way are in your control. And it's also value-based. It's you defining what your values are as a person how that then bleeds into you as an athlete and how you want to show yourself in tough moments when things get hard, when you get to a point in the race that you know you're not going to achieve the PR that you feel like you deserved, but how do you cross the finish line? Watching the Boston Marathon this past weekend, uh, the best marathoner ever, Elliot Kipchoge was definitely picked to win the men's marathon race. He has the fastest ever marathon time. And he came in, I believe, sixth place overall. And he had gotten separated from the lead pack at least by mile 20. So he's running the last 10K 
by himself. And he knows that he's not going to win the race and that he's not going to achieve the goal that he had set for himself. And yet what you see, and this is the mark of a true champion of someone who's adhering because they've established their performance standards. They know who they are as a person and as an athlete. He finishes the race as strong as he can. He doesn't pull out of the race because he didn't get to win. He doesn't completely fall off of pace, but he pushes himself because ultimately his values were rooted in the fact that he would give all of himself to that race course. And that's what we need to fall back on when things get tough because what that can do is it can give us solace in a hard moment when we felt like we should have been able to achieve a goal, but we didn't. But can we then say, well, I gave it my all when I get hard. I didn't fall off pace. I didn't quit on myself. I talked myself through tough moments. I helped other people out on the course when I saw they needed something. I adhered to my nutrition strategy. Like I checked the boxes for everything that I could control. So then you can have peace with the fact that the uncontrollables stacked up too much and it just wasn't in your favor that day. But by continually showing up for your performance standards, you're casting the necessary votes that with due time, if you continue to adhere to those performance standards in your training and in all of the races that you ultimately sign up for and, and show up for, that there's a lot of votes in place in your favor to then perform at a high level moving forward. Another topic that I think is really uh, overlooked but important for our mental approach to training is curiosity. Let yourself be curious with your training. I saw this quote in preparing for this episode, and I really liked it. It's really simple, and I love that it comes from this person because it has nothing to do with running. It says, I have no special talent. I am only passionately curious, and that is Albert Einstein. We associate success in athletics with talent and with hard work. And Albert Einstein says, I have no special talent. I am just passionately curious. And you can, you can consider how far that curiosity took him and has probably taken many athletes who simply want to know what their personal limit is. Not how their limit stacks up to that of other people, but they are curious that if I show up every single day and I focus on getting better for myself, How far can I take it? And that curiosity can take you a very long way. And the final thing that I think is extremely important for our mental approach to training and the time that follows these big results is community and gratitude. Having gratitude for the people that are supporting you and seeing what you do as bigger than yourself. Running is a great example of community, and I think it's a big reason that we see thousands upon thousands of people at these races is that the community drives people even when they have not achieved maybe what they felt like they were supposed to achieve on that day. But when you're out on the race course with thousands of people and you see the person to your left, you see the person to your right, number one, it's not hard to be inspired at a marathon. So if you're struggling, look around and you can find that little bit of inspiration to push a little bit farther. But then also when you cross that finish line, you can know that it's not just for you, that you're doing it for other people, because not only can you set the example for other people, but that by expressing, by expressing gratitude, you can feel a heck of a lot better regardless of the performance and the judgments that you may make about your performance. At the end of the day, I believe we run to be better. We run to live a better life, to live life more fully, and to show up 
at a higher level for the people around us. We do not run and we do not compete or train really hard to be more stressed, more frustrated, more consumed, any of that. However, those are often byproducts of the pressure that we put on ourselves. But we need to combat that. We need to understand ultimately why are we doing this. Because we don't want to become our own worst enemy and then find a couple years down the road that we haven't enjoyed it for a long time and that we lost touch with the person who set out on that first run and found a love for it over the course of time. So we should ask three questions. Number one, what are the basic values that you want to live by? Outside of running, and then you can maybe even bring running into the fold as well, but what are the values that you want to live by? Because by investing in something like running and in the training that it requires, you're going to have numerous opportunities to display those values. But if you don't identify them, you'll never be focused on how to live those values out in your life. That leads into question number two. How do these values look in action? So in the moment, this is performance standards as well. In that race, how do I live out my values through these performance standards? What am I going to do when it gets hard? How am I going to set the example both for other people and for my future self in reflecting on this race? How am I going to display those values? And the third step, the third question that you can maybe ask of yourself in reflection is, am I consistently living by these values? These three to five values that I wrote down for myself, am I actually doing it or am I just talking about it? You've got the opportunity in running. So many people, when they don't run or when they don't, you know, maybe put these unnecessary pressures on themselves of like, I want to run this time on this day. I want to get faster. I want to improve. When they don't do that for themselves and they kind of just, you know, let life comes as it, as it comes, they don't have the opportunity, at least not the conscious opportunity, to live out the values that they believe in. But by putting that pressure on ourselves, we can then show up for ourselves by displaying those values. It, the saying goes, pressure is privilege. You're giving yourself the privilege to live out these values. You're giving yourself the privilege to improve in a very conscious manner by running. So don't sabotage yourself with that. Identify what you want to get out of it and hold yourself accountable to it. And then the original episode topic that I want to get into, I'll close with here today, and that is empowerment. And ultimately, I think that empowerment is what we are seeking from running. We want to be empowered. So what is it? What does it mean to be empowered? It is self-belief. It's strength against struggle. It's power in the face of adversity. Empowerment matters because it inspires action. Empowerment shows you that you can be the one to take charge of your life. And what I've found from running in the past few weeks, you know, now that I don't really have a specific goal that I'm training for, at least in the moment or on any, you know, close timetable, I run and I feel better every single day, both during and after I run, because it empowers my life. It shows me that I am in control, and although there's a lot of things that can frustrate me and make me throw me out of rhythm, at the end of the day, I am in control. Empowerment is a precursor to confidence. You must empower yourself. You have to do something to be empowered, and I believe that for many of us, running is that thing. We can't rely on other people to consistently empower us. It's like the feedback loop that we were discussing you can't always rely on other people to hype you up and to give you 
all the positive affirmations that you want. You have to be willing to empower yourself. So if you're seeking more confidence, you must empower yourself by taking action. And then from action comes that confidence that can then be sustained in other areas of your life. There's another quote that I wanted to bring in here. And it reads, Inaction breeds doubt and fear. Action breeds confidence and courage. If you want to conquer fear, do not sit home and think about it. Go out and get busy. And I believe that that is what we do every single day with running. Is we go out, we take action, and we breed confidence, and we breed courage, and we breed an an empowered lifestyle. So that is today's episode, episode number 65. I finally got the opportunity to do a solo episode. Sarah's done an amazing job with, I believe, the last five episodes that she's done on her own. And this one was really fun for me, especially when I got to reflect on where I've been the last few months and how I feel like it it relates to really the larger picture of what we all experience in running and in the pursuit of goals. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have pretty big goals for yourself and you're going to put that pressure on yourself, but you also need to give yourself some grace in, in all that that entails because it's going to be a lot of, of stress and a lot of potentially negative emotions throughout the process. But you will also find your way on top of the mountain as well and all of the positives associated with that. So thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please share either on social media or you can even reach out and just let us know that you loved it. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Next week, Sarah and I will be back together for episode 66, and I will really look forward to that one and uh, having a co-hosted podcast again. But thank you for listening this week. Look forward to having you join us again next week.